Hi, I'm Madhuri Krishnan, editor of Skift Airline Weekly, and welcome to the podcast. We're doing something a little bit different with the podcast now. We're bringing you audio of our weekly live stream, Mondays with Skift Airline Weekly, which we broadcast every week, every Monday, at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. Join us next week. We'll take your questions while we discuss the hottest topics in the airline industry. You can register at forum.skift.com. First of all, welcome, Jay. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Madhu. Hi, everyone listening. So um, Virgin Australia went into bankruptcy or voluntary administration last week. It's the first major air, world airline to declare bankruptcy or administration due to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Can you tell us how we got here? Yeah, right. So we um, Virgin, Virgin Australia um, competes with Qantas. There's, there's two airlines, uh, two major airlines uh, in Australia. And uh, there was always a big disparity between them and Qantas. Qantas, um, I shouldn't say always, actually. I should correct myself and say during during the past decade or so, Virgin Australia has always had a lot of problems. Um, the, we go into some of the reasons why in our cover story this week. Uh, Qantas, on the other hand, has done a lot to restructure themselves and become a very strong, powerful airline. Uh, so Virgin Australia kind of went into the crisis uh, in, in a troubled state. They were pleading for government aid, uh, which never came. So ultimately, they really had no choice but to uh, do what in Australia is called um, administration, filing for administration, which is essentially bankruptcy, where a uh, an administrator, um, an outside, basically restructuring experts from the company Deloitte came in, and they're sort of in control now. So they're going to be the ones that uh, decide ultimately what happens. Uh, one potential is that Virgin Australia is just liquidated. They sell off all the assets. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not likely. The more likely scenario, and, and one that they said they that the administrators themselves are, are working toward, is to to restructure it, bringing some new owners. Uh, you know, break break uh, any of the old contracts that they they don't like uh, that were uneconomical. Um, so there's, there's so there still is hope. And, and frankly, I think there 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 is. Uh, reason to be hopeful that that virgin can be reborn as something maybe smaller uh, almost surely simpler uh airline um but uh, but stay tuned they're they're just beginning the restructuring uh, now i think their first creditor meeting is uh this week well just let's, let's pause there for a second for those listeners who may not know virgin australia has a rather complicated ownership structure right um can, what can you just explain to our listeners what how, how it's structured? Yeah, that's right. Um, they So the Virgin Group, uh, the one that everyone associates with Richard Branson in the UK, um, they, they only own, is it 10% of the company, I, mm-hmm. I think is right. And then they have a collection of other airline shareholders. Uh, Singapore Airlines is a major shareholder. Uh, Etihad from Abu Dhabi is a major shareholder. Uh, two airlines, uh, two airline groups or conglomerates from, from China are major shareholders. Air New Zealand was was the majority shareholder until two years ago, I think it was. They sold out. Um, hmm. So yeah, it is it is a publicly traded company, but a very very thin slice um, is actually owned by by just individual investors. Um, it is it is kind of a kind of an odd animal in the sense that its shareholder base is uh, yeah a collection of these these airlines and and that that was arguably one of the problems that Virgin has had in recent years is. You know, when you, when you have a collection of shareholders, so many different interests, um, sometimes it's hard to get everybody on the same page. You know, one one airline, Singapore, may see 
virgin is useful for this and want them to start this route and at the odd maybe something else so that was, that was one of several uh issues problems that they faced even pre-crisis mm -hmm. uh, so, so what what does that mean um so we'll let me let me take two on that will, will australia then um I mean, is there is there an appetite for using public funds for this uh, for this restructuring or bailout, or is that not even an option? And well, well, it is still possible. Um, so they uh, Australia, the, the government position was was it, it was interesting. Was, they were kind of in a difficult position. <clears throat> so there was no question. <clears throat> pardon me. The um, the government did not want to see Virgin Australia go away. That's clear because then Qantas would have an effective monopoly. That would be bad for a whole bunch of local communities. It would make prices more expensive. It, would, it wouldn't be good for the economy. So, so they wanted to keep Virgin. But at the same time, you can imagine how very politically difficult it would be to bail out an airline owned by foreign airlines. You know, right. We just talked about that. And Virgin Atlantic, interestingly, is having the same uh, issue in the UK. You know, does UK want to really put taxpayer money to rescue a billionaire and, you know, 49% of Virgin Atlantic is owned by a U.S. airline Delta, so so it was very politically different, difficult. So they you know opted for um, this. They, they let Virgin go bankrupt, hoping that it will still stick around and uh, coming out of this process that we discussed earlier. And um, would they contribute some sort of aid uh, at this point? Um, yeah, possibly. I mean, they they if if Australian investors came in and uh, you know, let's say an investment firm came in and said, you know, I'm willing to put this money down if the government also does this or that. So, so yeah, it's possible that that, that might happen. I should also add the government has provided some levels of assistance in the form of uh, lower airport fees, lower, you know, air navigation fees, things like that. Uh, they're also paying Virgin and Qantas as well, a little bit of money to operate these repatriation flights and, you know, essential air service between, you know, Canberra and Sydney or whatever. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see what the government policy ultimately is on that. All right. Before I get before I ask you another question, to those of you listening, uh, please feel free to ask your questions. We'll take your questions as you ask them um, using the chat function on uh, the live stream uh, platform. Um, so, Jay, uh, just just this just occurred to me. Are there any um, in that complicated ownership structure with a lot of foreign entities owning um, pieces of Virgin Australia? Is there, well, it's a two-part question. Is there, do you think there's any white knight that among that group that might come in and help uh, restructure Virgin Australia, A, and B? What are, do you know what, I mean, would there be ownership limits and constraints in Australia against that happening? Australia is an interesting country because its ownership restraints, foreign ownership restraints are very, very uh, lax. They're very open, um, which is why so many of these foreign airlines can control a carrier like Virgin. Um, among the uh the the existing shareholders there were reports in australian newspapers that etihad might be willing to partner with some investors to put some more money in um that's the only one i've heard of there were some rumors that some uh some other chinese airlines not the ones that are currently involved may want to uh get involved um that becomes somewhat of a political issue too um, because uh, the airlines in question were state-owned, we're talking about like Air China, China mm -hmm. Eastern, so they're you know you start you start to get into geopolitical questions and things like that. Um, so probably not likely there. Uh, Singapore Airlines, uh, very early on, people wondered. So Singapore Airlines, interestingly enough, probably received the largest bailout of any. I, I mean, I, 
I'm going to back up and be careful using that word bailout airlines. Right. Right. But uh, but essentially, they they received the largest um, amount of government aid than any airline in the world. So they were seen early on as perhaps someone who might you know want to take full control of Virgin. Um, they haven't really kind of moved in that direction. Um, and frankly, you know, Singapore Airlines has always had this idea that, you know, we're stuck on this little island. We have to make sure to invest in India. For example, they own an airline called Vistar in India. Or they came real close to buying China Eastern many years ago. They, so they always, they, they really do like to buy abroad, but now may not be the time. It's just, you know, there's so much uncertainty. Well, we can use Singapore Airlines to pivot to another Virgin Group airline. Um, Singapore Airlines once held a 49%, if I'm not mistaken, stake in Virgin Atlantic, which it sold to Delta for sort of a fire sale price a few years ago. Um, but there's there's talk that uh, Virgin Atlantic could be the next, is on the ropes and could be the next airline um, to, to face uh, bankruptcy. Right. And, and as we, we talked about, the uh, it's it becomes very politically difficult for the UK government to bail them out because of that ownership situation, you know, do you bail out the billionaire, do you bail out Delta? Um, so Delta even itself, see, Ed Bastian, who's their CEO, even said on CNBC last week in an interview that uh, that some sort of bankruptcy may be the best option for Virgin Atlantic. Um, so there are, I think there are still talks underway. Um, the latest I you know, read was that Virgin Atlantic uh, or Branson has hired some bankers to try to sell his stake in the airline. So maybe someone else will come in and, 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 and purchase it before they have to take the step of, of filing for bankruptcy. Um, but it's really close. I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're running out of cash for sure. And um, uh, well, where else? I mean, there, there are a lot of airlines that are sort of on the, the watch list for bankruptcy or, or even liquidation. Uh, what are some of the other carriers that are really facing a, a tenuous future right now? Yeah, well, I mean, there it's the times are so difficult that there are a lot of carriers. Uh, you know, a, a small carrier uh, off the coast of Africa, Air Mauritius, uh, declared bankruptcy last week. A uh, few, few other, you know, smaller carriers have. Uh, Norway, everybody's watching Norwegian. Norwegian has this uh, you know, sort of drastic restructuring plan that they're trying to shove down the throats of all their shareholders and creditors you know they're basically saying if you owe us a lot of money we can't you know we can only pay you a fraction back of what we owe you but um we're gonna you know recreate rebuild the airline and we'll give you an ownership stake in that and hopefully that'll do well and you'll, you'll make up your mind but if that doesn't work you know shareholders wind up rejecting that idea then ultimately they they can file their there's their meeting is next week uh, the big shareholders uh -huh. meeting so uh keep an eye on that uh it sh I guess we should use this time to uh, note that in the U.S., because federal aid was was so generous, um, up to $50 billion for, for U.S. passenger carriers, um, there's really no threat of any U.S. airline bankruptcies uh, anytime for the next couple of months, at least. Um, you know, no, no one knows what happens once we get beyond the summer months, but but airlines have both the federal money to uh, for payroll, um, they also have uh, federal loan money that they can access. Uh, many of them have pre-existing bank credit lines. They have, you know, they've, they've been able to go out and buy, um, go go out and buy borrow money from the private markets. 
they've been able to sell assets and 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 also just you know cut costs dramatically. So uh, so don't expect any you know bankruptcies in the U.S. anytime real soon. And that's the case with a lot of I think a lot of countries have have undertaken similar policies with respect to supporting if not airlines themselves and airline employees. So Canada, for example, uh, um, even the U.K. is paying airline employees or a portion of their their wages for the next few months. Uh, so they. They, that at least buys some time. All right, let's, uh, let's you know, the, the no U.S. carrier is, is an imminent threat of bankruptcy. Um, but things aren't looking very good. I mean, Delta was the first U.S. carrier to report its first quarter earnings last week, and a whole bunch will be reporting their earnings this week, later on this week. Um, it's likely that the first quarter is the best quarter these carriers will have um, for a while. If I'm not mistaken, and um, uh, what's going on with Delta? I mean, the mighty Delta. What did it report this week, and <laughs> what does it mean? Right. So, so, so you're right about the first quarter being not so bad. It's important to remember that January and February, though, though, keep in mind these are these are you know off peak months. Right. Um, but uh, gen, they, demand was still fine January, February, even in even into early March. I remember I was on a on a full plane in, in the first week of March. Uh, so it's in that sense it wasn't a it wasn't a you know a, a really awful quarter uh delta i think um their operating margin is negative five percent or something right. like that which uh you know there was a time where that was a perfectly normal first off-peak first quarter for us airlines. <laughs> right yeah yeah i mean negative five percent that's they can live with that um but you're right uh march was absolutely awful second quarter is going to be absolutely awful uh, chances are, you know, the second half of the year, it doesn't, nobody really expects uh, any kind of, you know, robust recovery where, you know, premium cabins are full and airlines are making huge margins. It's so, yeah, it's, it's the, the, the short term outlook. And by short term, if you, you know, define that as through, through the end of this year, it does, it's, it doesn't look pretty, that's for sure. Right. Now, Delta right. says that, uh, and it's just a guess, they'll admit that they're just guessing. But uh, it could take about three years before traffic levels get back to you know pre-crisis levels. Uh, they're they're right now you know busy undertaking a lot of reforms. They're cutting a lot of costs. They're you know accelerating fleet retirement. So there's things you can do at this moment to kind of set you up for for a recovery to be um, you know take advantage of one. So it's not all lost cause, but. Um, you know, and and the best, if there's one optimistic thing you can say uh, about the eventual recovery when it comes, is that uh, the airline's cost base, and this is true everywhere in the world, will probably probably significantly lower. Um, that's, you know, we don't know for sure what oil prices are going to be, but uh, chances are they'll be lower. And then, you know, these airlines are just doing all these cost cuttings and contract breaking contracts and um you know, the, the cost of aircraft is probably going to be a lot less. So that's, uh, you know, if you're a glass half full type of person, that's, you know. But what happened uh, after September 30th? Uh, that's when the U.S. federal stimulus, um, well, well, to back up, that's uh, airlines that took money under the CARES Act, the federal stimulus bill, um, have to maintain their staffs until September 30th. But you've already heard Scott Kirby, this, the incoming CEO and current president of United, Ed Bastian, um, of Delta warning that they they will be running smaller airlines after September 30th. And Gary Kelly, the CEO of Southwest, 
said something that uh, floored me last week in a video message to employees. I mean, the airline has not laid off or furloughed a single employee and since Herb Keller founded in 71. Um, but he warned, Kelly warned that there might be, it'll be a last resort, but there could be furloughs. So are we going to see a smaller airline industry after September 30th? Yeah, almost for sure. Um, you know, maybe if the demand comes back enough, and uh, airlines, you know, the, when we talk about the U.S. airlines, they have built up very, very large cash piles, not just with federal money. It's important to remember that it's, uh, you know, when that when the federal payroll grants run dry, uh, there still will be money that was, you know, as we mentioned before, they raised money through uh, all sorts of, you know, lines of credit and selling assets and whatnot. Um, and then they have the, the federal grant loans as well, the federal loans as well that they that they have a choice to to. Um, to use. So, um, but, but yeah, if nobody really expect the demand to come back, uh, you know, just to bounce back to where it was immediately. So if it's true that we won't get 2019 traffic levels until 2022, 2023, 2024, then of course, you know, the, the, if the demand is not there, then supply can't be there. You know, you gotta, you gotta take out the supply. So it should be a smaller industry. And I think most airlines around the world, are are saying that again the only you know if you want to make a counter argument the only one that seems to make a little bit of sense would be you know that the if input costs are so low that you can imagine you know a southwest just being able to charge or spirit or somebody really low cost being able to charge you know extremely low fares because their cost base is going to be so low and then you know just be you know even if the economy is bad people will be able to afford you know trips to, to Florida or to California to, to um, you know, just, just a lot of leisure travel. Um, so, so that, and that's people are, people do expect that the leisure travel and, and particularly the family visit travel will come back before the business travel. So that's, you know, we're kind of, uh, at Airline Weekly, we're kind of thinking through which sort of airlines uh, might come out of this first, you know, which, which are sort of better positioned for, for the recovery when it happens. And, um, the consensus seems to be that that the airlines that uh, are involved with uh, family visit traffic and leisure traffic might be better off than uh, those that certainly rely on you know intercontinental premium traffic. You know, you think of a Singapore Airlines, for example, or a British mm -hmm. Airways. Um, you know, do we know that to be true? No, but it's sort of sort of shaping up that way. Great. Right. We have an audience right. question, um, and I'll, I can take a first crack at it, Jay. If you um, if you want to fill in, uh, or might the gaps. Um, do you think there'll be major layoffs after September 30th? Um, so neither Jay nor I have a crystal ball, but, uh, and I'm not gonna talk about specific airlines, but if you have airlines parking aircraft and saying that their fleets will be a lot smaller, it's just employment is a function of the number of aircraft they have in operation. So if there, if there are fewer aircraft they're, they're operating, then uh, the, they need fewer staff. So yes, I think they're, Barring a massive uptick in demand, I think we we will see some layoffs in the U.S. after the September 30th, especially if you have the uh, CEOs warning already that they'll be operating smaller airlines. Jay, got anything to add to that? Yeah, no, that that sounds sounds all about right. I mean, it's yeah, if you have a smaller industry, unfortunately, um, yeah, there 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 may be. I mean, that was that was unfortunately the situation after prior crises as well, where you know work workforces were reduced. We have another audience question here. Um, will this economic situation foster more M&A activity and who would be the potential candidates in North America? 
except for me. Yeah, the, um, it's possible. Yeah, they're talking about it's it's maybe more likely in Europe than it would would be in North America, only because Europe went into the crisis much more fragmented. Um, now Asia is even even more fragmented yeah. than Europe, but Asia also the airlines tend to be tied to to nations and it becomes more of a political issue. You know, you cross-border mergers are always harder. But if you can do, mer mergers within Europe are easier. And then mergers within the U.S. Are, are, are don't don't have any of, any of that, those regulatory issues other than, you know, perhaps antitrust concerns. Right. Um, however, it's, it's already a very consolidated industry. So, you know, you might be able to build a case for, you know, merging some of the smaller low-cost airlines. Frontier Spirit has been talked about for many years. But... You know, it's you have three giant, giant airlines in uh, Delta, American United, and you can't imagine, you know, any of those merging. They would just be so, so giant. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know what regulators would say about that. I'm not sure if, you know, they'd, they'd probably be very, very messy mergers as well. Yeah. Um, you know, Jeppel, Alaska, it's possible, but I, I just don't, you know, I don't really see that. You know, mergers, remember, too. They uh, they're costly the first couple of years. I mean, they're you, the best way to think about mergers are investments. So if you've got you know if you've got revenue and cost issues now, um, do you really want to have the complexity of a merger that uh, won't pay dividends for another two three years? At least, um, yeah, at least at least. I mean, we saw that with you know most most of the mergers that that have taken place in the past decade or so. Right. All right. Here's another audience question. Um, with IATA noting that 66% of load factors would be unprofitable on short haul routes last week, how do you foresee airlines implementing social distancing measures in the near term on flights? And will consumers ultimately see higher fares at the end of the day? Yeah, so there's this idea going around that, uh, you know, if they block the middle seats, right. that will, uh, you know, promote social distancing and help help with uh, curtailing the, the spread of the virus. Um, it really, it's, you know, it, if they do that, it's it's something that there's very, very it's hard to imagine an economic model that works in the airline industry. Um, could Ryanair make money at 66 percent load factors if they charge, you know, they'd have to charge higher fares? Um, and the answer is, yeah, they probably could make a little bit of money because whatever their, their costs are so low and their scale is so enormous. You know, you can you can maybe find a handful of, you know, ultra low cost carriers in the world that might be able to you know, squeak out a profit, but, but it's, there's really, it's hard to imagine, you know, a viable business model, um, under those conditions. And, and you also, you know, a lot of people have also questioned whether, you know, does it really, does it really do a lot to, to help the cause? I mean, if you're sitting, you know, two seats away from someone, is it really that much better than one seat away? So, so, I mean, it is, it's just a very big problem that the airlines have is that while this virus is spreading and it's, you know, people say this is, it's, we're not gonna have a vaccine now for probably for another year, 18 months or whatever, whatever the researchers and doctors say, um, if that's the case, it is a fact that, um, you know, small cramped aircraft cabins are uh, not great places for social distancing, whether you, you know, but so, so the only, I mean, you can, you, you might be able to have some sort of model where you have very few seats on the plane, but they're all like very, very premium, very, very high priced. But if the economy is depressed and you have no corporate premium mail, that's gonna be hard to do. So it's, yeah, I honestly, I don't, because of all the things I said, I, I really think that at some point will, I don't think it'll be, you know, maybe they'll do that. Some of the airlines are doing that now, 
um, the, the block in the middle of the siege just voluntarily. I don't think it's going to be a long-term right. thing. I think eventually yeah. we get back to the point where, because otherwise, you know, low fare travel is done. Right. And if low fare travel right. is done, you know, think about the economies of a place like Thailand right. or, or right. even my home state of Florida or the Caribbean or, you know, that's the, these, these places. There's a lot of the world economy that depends on, you know, low, lowish cost tourism. Although it sounds like uh, Delta CEO Ed Bastian is sort of banking on the other end of the spectrum. He said multiple times during the earnings call last week that he thinks customers will pay for a premium experience for, uh, I guess, the unwritten sentiment there is for uh, for an experience, a flight experience that makes them feel safe. And he thinks that's the premium side of things. So what does that mean for, for airfares and for, um, for the whole low-cost carrier model? I'm, I'm, I'm not certain. Yeah, right, right. No, I mean, it's a matter of degree. I mean, will people perhaps pay more um, to, you know, for a carrier that they trust and, and uh, that, that will, you know, undertake uh, a lot of measures, even if they're costly to, to keep the planes clean? Yeah, people will pay for that. But how, you know, will they pay a lot, lot, lot more? I mean, that's kind of the lesson of, of a history of, of the airline industry is that, uh, you know, people, they, it, <laughs> there, there's an old quote from Ryanair that, you know, people will crawl naked over broken glass to get a low fare. You know, it's uh, ultimately they, that's, you know, it, it's people, it's an intermediate good. It's what they're buying is they're, what, what people are really buying when they buy an airline ticket is not the airline ticket. They're buying a trip, they're buying a journey, they're buying a vacation. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's you know what Ed Bastian said is totally, totally right that people might pay more, but but don't expect, uh, you know, people to pay what it would require to make money if if you only had sixty six percent low fare. Although when I heard him say that, I had a image pop into my head of going back to dressing up for air travel and being served Chateaubriand from a rolling cart, but uh, right. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. And those, those that was long gone. <laughs> Yes, yes, and those were those were the days when when airfares were regulated, when the government was, you know, supply was was regulated, not so much competition. So just a completely different, you know, different animal yeah. in today's world. All right, here's another viewer question. Um, with fuel price, uh, we we got two questions I want to get to, but let's start with this one. Um, with fuel prices at rock bottom, how can airlines take advantage of them? Yeah, so so right now, I mean, if you're not flying, then it's it's not not so helpful. You could um, under you, you could enter in some hedging contracts now. The, the problem is, um, you know, hedging is based on on the futures market, mm -hmm. and if you look out into the futures market, um, oil is not you know negative thirty dollars a barrel. It's uh, it's it, it's something more like thirty, which is still cheap. So airlines might might want to do that, um, but it's uh, but you know who knows? Airlines, you know, you'll if, if we recover and. The economy is a lot smaller, and you know the airline industry is a lot smaller. We're flying off, you know, maybe maybe jet fuel is uh, even cheaper than what it's trading jet fuel uh, the futures market right now. So we don't really know. Um, you know, you can craft a your fleet strategy um, under certain assumptions about fuel. You in the in the past, what you would do if you expected fuel to be very cheap, you would tend to fly older aircraft. I mean, a lot of you know airlines. Have, made really great business models out of that premise. Um, Allegiant Air is a good example, I mean, AirTran back in the day. They, that, you don't hear a lot of that right now and there's different reasons. Airlines are all kind of migrating to the, the newer planes. Um, different reasons for that. We, we've talked about them a lot in, 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 in our issues, Airline Weekly, but won't get into them now. So some of them is just environmental, you know, you want the newer planes because they're, they're, they pollute less. Um, there are some economic reasons too. 
Yeah, just to answer another another data point for the person who asked about fuel prices, the U.S. Energy Information Agency today put out, uh, or I guess over the weekend, said that uh, jet fuel demand is 66% down compared with last year. I mean, um, for the month of, uh, for the month, um, that's astonishing. So, you know, the jet fuel may be, you know, you still have to pay the refining prices, right? So jet fuel will always be higher, cost more than a barrel of oil on a per gallon basis. Um, But- uh, And taxes. Taxes, et cetera, distribution, all those things. Um, But, but, you know, when, when there is no demand and where you're not flying, you don't really need oil. So it's kind of a, it's just a, um, it's hard to imagine how they take advantage of this. And we, you know, this sort this other audience question, Jay, comes from, sort of builds on something you uh, had just touched on. Um, Do you see any fleet renovation during this time when Boeing is struggling and airlines have older aircraft knowing of the new green or environmental requirements? Okay, uh, so by renovation, um, I'm, uh, I, I'm assuming that means fleet renewal, um, or maybe they're talking about inside the cabin. Um, so, so as far as fleet renewal, um, you know, airlines are not spending money on any planes right now. You know, they're deferring orders. They they don't want to have anything to do with uh, with new planes in there because it's caught, they're just preserved. It's we're in cash preservation mode, so nobody wants to uh, you know dole out money. Um, and, and frankly, Airbus and Boeing don't really have that much leverage because uh, they uh, they're in dire straits themselves. So um, there's not a lot of that. As far as um, if, if you're talking about you know, renovation of, of sort of the cabin interiors, um, some of that is going on. I mean, it does. There there are some cash outlays, um, but I have heard a few examples of airlines, uh, you know, kind of catching up on, on some of that mm-hmm. stuff where they're behind, um, even even some preferred maintenance. Um, you know, while their planes are, are down, there's no better time to do it. Um, assuming they could, you know, manage the cash obligations without any problems. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's let's end this uh, session with some some positive news. I mean, you you there's there's some stunning stunning to me at least news that came out of uh, out of Europe that uh, that uh, Jet Two is seeing seeing leisure bookings go up. What, what's that about? <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a nice little surprise. They um, Jet Two is a low cost carrier based in the UK, and they they said um, last week that they're um, they're seeing you know quite a quite a good number of bookings for later this summer, and, and also um, the the upcoming winter. A lot of that uh, is people that you know were supposed to travel maybe this month that are just you know using credits to rebook, which is good. You know, it's better better for the airline that they do that than they ask for a refund. That's a drain on cash. So Jet2 is happy about that. And then they even said, you know, these European low-cost carriers, they're already putting their summer 2021 flights on sale. And Jet2 said that they're even they're even ahead of expectations on that. Now, they also cautioned and said, look, you know, it's, it's still very early for summer 2021. Um, we don't know much yet. Um, everybody understands that uh, there are still questions about whether people will be even be allowed to travel. You know, will there still be stay-at-home orders? Will it still be safe? To, will, will it be safe to travel by this by this summer, this winter? Um, there's a lot that we don't know. So you know, not uh, nobody should be throwing any parties for Jet Two uh, based on that information. But but it's you know, if you're looking for green shoots, it was 
mildly encouraging. Right, and there's also, just to add to the smallest green shoots, I mean, we're, we're starting to see um, demand, domestic demand at least, go up in China and Korea, right? Yeah, we see some, those are the two markets in the world where that I know of where you're starting to see a little bit of the demand recovery. Um, they say load factors. In domestic China, IATA says about 50, 60%, something like that. A lot of that is, uh, you know, some business travel, people returning, you know, factories reopening. Um, there's still not a lot of demand uh, in, in the Chinese economy as, as a whole. Um, so there's some business, a lot, a lot of, you know, family visit traffic, I suspect. I've heard mixed things about whether leisure is coming back. I don't think there's a lot yet in China. Um, there have been some stories, and, and there's one in the Hong Kong newspaper that said that, that leisure bookings for the upcoming May 1st holiday, which is the next week or Friday, whatever it is, this weekend, um, that they, they looked good. So there, there's some mixed signals, but, uh, you know, nothing yet. And then Korea, yeah, I also, you know, saw some signals that there um, some, you know, a little, little bit of leisure domestic bookings. Now for Korea, domestic is, you know, just a small, such a small market that uh, especially for, you know, a giant carrier like Korean Air, which is so dependent on, you know, intercontinental travel and premium travel that it's, you know, it's a small, small consolation prize, but uh, every, every little bit helps. Um, and then to end where we started in Australia, the mm -hmm. uh, Australian market, some people think maybe that could come back. Um, sooner than other markets, if only because they've had a pretty good experience so far with controlling the virus. So they haven't had too many cases, too many deaths. So maybe they'll be able to, you know, get back on track a little bit earlier than some other parts of the world. Well, that, they're the palest of green shoes, but I'll take them. Um, so thank you very much for joining us on the first Mondays with Skift Airline Weekly. Please join us again next week.